1: Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When Jesus said this, All his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: you, Lord You may be seated. Grace and peace to you, my friends in faith, You know, as she just read that, we might not get it. Like, we might not quite understand what's the big deal. Why is the leader of the synagogue so upset that someone would be healed on the Sabbath? Culturally, it's perhaps because the Sabbath isn't given its proper recognition anymore in our own lives. Uh, But this guy's reaction seems a bit over the top, doesn't it? Is the leader of the synagogue wrong for what he says? Well, Technically, No. I mean, this woman has been like this for 18 years, and the Sabbath is really a big deal. So, you know, come on, Jesus, show up on Wednesday. But that's not what he does. You know, I think it's, it's easy for us to, like, point our finger in shame. Oh, that leader of the synagogue, we would never do that. Uh, how dare you? How dare you do that? How dare you criticize my Jesus for doing this miracle? Why are you so upset with him for doing this on the Sabbath? But perhaps our cultural context matters. Uh, I asked one of our members, Dave Kaggle, to help me understand this a little bit. Dave has some extensive experience uh, working with an Orthodox Jewish family. And so I asked him about his impressions of the story. He said, look, I remember that my Orthodox friends would prepare for the Sabbath. It seemed like a really busy time to do all the shopping, preparing the food, and getting the house ready for Sabbath, even to the extent of tearing sheets of toilet paper off of the roll ahead of time, ready for use, so that wouldn't count as work. Wow, right? You know, some of those rules might seem trivial, but, but then you turn off all your phones, your computers, your TVs. Can you, like, can, you ima- can you even fathom, like, you are intentionally, you have to be off the grid? I know, it sounds amazing, doesn't it? And you simply have to enjoy one another's presence during that 24 hours. It's a real blessing. What a way for us to redefine that concept of work. You know, the leader in the synagogue isn't mad at Jesus for doing something like writing on the scrolls or going to visit someone in the hospital. I mean, he's healing a woman. This permanent healing, this transformation of something that has ailed her for 18 years. Surely this leader of the synagogue must see The grace behind this yet he's so oblivious to the miracle and he's hung up on how this is disrupting the Sabbath rules and oh my gosh what if everyone else sees this and they start getting ideas so here's what Dave said about that he said look as to healing on the Sabbath the the law does prohibit the work of preparing medications or performing surgeries like the birth of a child for example but he said the healing that Jesus performed was, as he said, a spiritual freeing of that woman from the evil that had imprisoned her. It was an act of God, not an act of man. I mean, that, that really hits home, right? The leader of the synagogue doesn't believe Jesus is acting on behalf of God. That's why he's upset. Otherwise, I think he would react in a little bit different of a way. He'd react... Perhaps in the same way as this crowd does. I mean, like, I love that last line. The crowd goes crazy for Jesus. They get so excited when he points out the, hip, uh, the hypocrisy, don't they? Like crazy like Woodstock. 1969, uh, 69, not 1999. That kind of crazy, okay? Like, they are so excited for this. This peace, love, harmony. This is what they are excited for, this message of Jesus. And so he's showing them this new way of looking at the world. And sometimes, I think this is where it's gonna hit us right in the head. Because sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but I get really task-oriented. Uh, oriented. Like, I have to get my thing done. I, like, this has got to b- be done, and this has to get done. And I, I, if something amazing were going to happen to me, like, right outside, like, I, I wouldn't even notice it because I'm trying to get this task accomplished. I'm hyper-focused on solving a problem. And sometimes that solution is something I'm not even aware of because I'm not ready for it. Jesus tends to bend our minds, and something as as miraculous but perhaps trivial as healing this woman on the Sabbath day, on this holy day, it just wasn't something that was done. So I struggle with that too. I struggle with what happens when things come along that disrupt my order and predictability and and just what happens when I know that something's coming up and then it's delayed or it's not going to happen the way I'm expecting it and my plans aren't going to be able to get met. I want answers that make sense without creating more confusion. Life rarely goes step by step within our expectations, does it? So does Jesus ever take us beyond what we know? Well, you bet he does. So what does that look like? And so how do we, I'm going to give you an example. How do we perhaps maintain our trust in those moments where sometimes the solution to our problem isn't, it's not exactly the way that we expect it to be solved. And so it's kind of like this famous math problem. I'm not going to explain the math problem. I'm actually going to show you the math problem.
2: All right, everybody. This is called the nine-dot challenge. This is something I remember from when I was growing up in math class. And so the challenge is simple. You've got nine dots. Connect them with four straight lines. Seems easy enough, right? Well, so let's take a look. So here's one line straight, two lines straight, three lines straight, four lines straight. Well, I'm out of lines and I still got one extra dot so you're gonna to have to be a little creative here So why don't we on the second one? There's one straight line. Let's go a little creative. Let's go Like diagonal like that. That's two straight lines Three straight lines, and I've only got one line left and I've got two dots So yep, I connected that but I still missing one dot now What what this challenge is really meant for you to do is to realize sometimes the the answer is not always just bound within the immediate um plotting of the dots and so you sometimes have to look a little bit beyond the lines maybe this is where the expression outside the box came from but i'm going to prove it to you okay so here's how this is going to work so we got a one line here but you got to go a little bit further so there's one line there's two lines but then let's go all the way to the bottom there and then we're going to connect back up here that's three lines And then notice all we got left are those two dots that are still within the same vector pattern. And I've been able to successfully make one, two, three, and four lines without lifting my marker and connecting all of those dots.
0: All right, so I remember when I first received the nine dot challenge, okay? I was stumped and finally after some trial and error and perhaps a hint from my math teacher, I was able to solve it with help from my math teacher. And so, often, our minds can't solve something that we feel like we're already bound. We've kind of already created the rules. Nowhere in those rules did, our te- did my teacher say, and you can't draw past that grid, right? But in my head, it's like, well, I can't lift my pen, so I have to go right on that, on that grid. Oftentimes, our minds can only solve what we know to be true. Uh, uh, there's a theologian, Robert Capone, and he made this great observation about why that can sometimes be difficult, especially when it comes to a church or a synagogue. He says, sometimes whenever someone's attempting to introduce a radically different insight to people whose minds have been formed by an old and well-worked out way of thinking, that person's up against an obstacle. I mean, we know that to be true, right? And that new insight's always gonna be at odds with those old ways of thinking at things. So even if a teacher's audience were to try earnestly, like, look, we really want to understand this. The only intellectual devices that we have to pick it up with are those categories from the old system with which this new system is going to conflict. So our minds, their minds will understand the new only insofar as it can be made to agree with the old, which frequently is not at all. You know, the leader of the synagogues, He's stuck in that system of not being able to understand this new way. He just doesn't get it. He, he can't see that God is the one at work, not that this is just an act of, of man. This is truly God at, at work right in front of him. The same God that this leader of the synagogue presumes to know and to talk about and to teach about day in and day out in the synagogue. And he's totally missing the signs. Dave Kegel put it in a really helpful frame of mind as I was having that that dialogue with him, and he told me, we get too focused on the laws and the rules that surround the Sabbath, sometimes that we that we miss the great blessing that the Sabbath truly is. It's this time spent with family, like you're celebrating the Sabbath right now with each other. I mean, this is, you're either here with your family or with your, your fellow uh, Christians and being able to be together. It's a time that we spend together uninterrupted by the troubles of the world, which in this day and age, can be very rare. So, what do we do with that? Well, Dave Kegel also pointed out the the great Jewish theologian, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who wrote a book called The Sabbath. And he said the Sabbath was given to us by God for joy, for delight, for rest. And it shouldn't be marred by worry or grief. He said, the world which was created in six days was a world without a soul, and it was on the seventh day that the world was given a soul. Think about it, if we're all work, 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 it can get lifeless. All work, no being, no living. It's the seventh day, it's this Sabbath, it's, it's this opportunity for rest. I love that reframing of the Sabbath, don't you? Rest and Sabbath and rejuvenation. We might not have to pre-tear our toilet paper, but at the same time, being mindful of the responsibilities and what if we reclaimed our Sabbath? What would that look like? Well, Mary Maas, we had her funeral at uh, Matson's on Friday. Uh, Many of you have probably come in contact with her over the years as as she has been a befriender. Uh, She worked with the Hugo Family Shelter. Uh, At her new member class, as we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, I shared this a few weeks ago, but she talked about how God doesn't lead us into temptations, but instead, when we want to pray, we know that God is helping save us from the time of trial, and she talked about why she appreciated that newer version of the Lord's Prayer anyway, after the funeral on Friday, I, I immediately thought of you, Deacon Nina, because I was like, wow, this would have been the best prayer lab minute. Uh, so so she, one of her friends comes up and talks to me. You know, you know I'm kind of by the door. The friend's like, look, I got to tell you another Mary story. You got to hear about this. She's like, Mary loved to get up early and go for walks every single morning. She'd go for these really epically long walks, like these five-mile walks. And so the neighbor was like, hey, can I go for a walk with you? I would, I would just really enjoy to be in your company. And Mary said, no. I was like, what? Why not? I mean, that kind of shocked me. I'm like, Mary was so friendly. She was some, someone who would always kind of uh, be willing to step in and help someone. And, and so the neighbor said, said that was what her answer was. I was like, no? What do you mean no? Like, that's not Mary. Why didn't she let you come along for the walk? And the neighbor said, that walk was Mary's Sabbath. That was her time with God. She'd spend that whole five-mile walk in conversation with God. Wow. Every day. I think about how we might be sitting here thinking, wow, God, how do you do all this? This is like advanced calculus, and we're kind of stuck trying to do our you know, ones and twos. Like We don't quite understand what God's up to. His teaching and his explanation of the kingdom of heaven—they don't fully make sense to his audience of the day, and his teaching and his preaching—they don't fully make sense to our audience today either. Do th- I mean sometimes we really struggle because sometimes we just really, really love the law. We just love God's law. We just love and wish that everybody else would just you know just do do this. You know, I'm I'm taken care of, but could you just? do that. That'd be great. And that's not quite how God works. It's not quite how Jesus works. Jesus is always disrupting us, especially when things get a little too comfortable. And that routine, that Mr. Rogers type of routine sometimes needs to get broken up a little bit. And thank God for that. You know, this this is kind of how we experience the exponential growth model through God, right? Like, it's It's constant, and it's always happening. Like, God is always stirring us up and working through us. God's grace is one of the most important reasons why we participate in church. It's how we have an active faith. We pray over the waters of baptism. We come forward. We receive the body and the blood. Like, these are God's gifts of grace given to us. I know what you're thinking. How could anybody love us that much? Doesn't God know me? Yeah. God does and loves you no matter what. And here we are. Think of all these vectors shooting off of this. Our time of Sabbath reminds us that this formula, it's it's not about us and figuring out the solution. It's about God. It's about God's love, about the power of the Holy Spirit working in our world. It's about the love of Christ and our love for the neighbor. It's about our response to the grace of God. That's how we grow. God goes beyond the realm of understanding to help show us about salvation, to bring us life, to care for this beautiful creation. So praise God. Praise God for providing us this solution through the love of Christ in our world, in our lives, in our hearts, and in this congregation and community. Amen.